0: Hey guys, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast of Faith Church Indy. I'm Claire Kingsley, and I'm here with Pastor Joey this morning. Hey, good morning. Joey, on Sunday, you preached on communion and baptism as gospel elements, and you used Psalm 133. Yes. Which I have to admit was surprise a surprise to me when you submitted it saying, this is the, what you're going to be using, I should be putting this on, you know, like the... The bulletin or the faith news.
1: Right, you're looking at the title, baptism and communion, mm -hmm. and looking at Psalm 133 and going, oil on the beard,
0: dew on the mountains. Sure, and I was like, I just, I'm not sure. Yes, this was an accident, but you sent it in a few different things, and so I'm going with it, and it was. It worked really well. So why don't you give us an idea of how sure. you used the psalm and what was your sermon about?
1: Yeah, so the so Psalm 133 is one of these psalms of ascents, like that, mm-hmm. that pilgrims would sing on their way to Jerusalem. So they are enacting a, a ritual, a yearly, sometimes twice yearly ritual, on their way to Jerusalem, sharing meals and sharing memories. Um, they're they're headed to Jerusalem for the Passover uh, or Tabernacles, I think, is the other uh, festival they would go for. And so they're going to enact the memory of deliverance from Egypt and from slavery and bondage. And along the way, sharing life with one another as they travel and ultimately in Passover, sharing a meal.
0: How long would this pilgrimage take?
1: It kind of depends on where you are in okay. Israel. I think... Um, let's see, from the north side all the way down would be, what, five or six days travel at 20 miles a day, something like that. Okay. So uh, it could, it would take some time, and you know, you got kids. I mean, you remember um, the the child Jesus, when he was 12, his parents managed to get a day away before they realized he wasn't with them anymore because mm-hmm. of how many people were in the group together. They're just like, oh, somebody's got him. Right. You know, right. Not, not the way that we, now that we strap our kids into car seats and make sure they don't move at all right. for we'll the put entirety put of the, yeah, our, put leashes on our children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More free range parenting back then, <laughs> I guess. Right. So uh, in this psalm, you know, they're singing about unity as they are headed towards Jerusalem for this feast, for this meal that reenacts the memory of their deliverance. And it just struck me reading this Psalm that uh, we do the same thing in communion and baptism. So yeah, communion and baptism aren't uh, in that text. But they're part of that long flow of the history of the people of God, of continuing to unite around meals and memories uh, that I thought um, served as a good kind of Old Testament to New Testament bridge of why we, you know, it, it, it's different what we do. We're not hiking to Jerusalem for a Passover. And yet when we come together every week, we're we're being invited into the presence of God to, to celebrate our deliverance in the same way, mm-hmm. singing the same songs.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, why don't we just throw in a question here? Okay. So we, our communion, we cer- we celebrate once a month. Yes. And um, someone wanted to know, why don't we celebrate it every week?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And honestly, it's one that, you know, as we were ramping up to this sermon, Jeff and I, were, I was in his office going, why don't we do this every week? Because I feel that same tension of if communion really is a the training wheels for forgiveness and reconciliation as one guy called it then we should probably be doing that more often Um, it's more than just a memorial you know that you do periodically to kind of keep it special right Mm -hmm. And, and it sort of depends on what tradition you grew up in, how people feel about this? You know, we're part of the free church tradition, which means we are free to uh, mold our worship uh, according to what we see in Scripture, not according to sort of a received order that comes down from a state church. Right. Um, so we are, we are free to mold it in the way we think best shapes us. Uh, but some of what we do maybe is a reaction against the, you know, what we came sure. out of. And mm-hmm. so we de-emphasize all of the ritual things. Um, there are different, different authors in different um, kind of theological streams, Presbyterian versus free church versus whatever, who uh, emphasize different parts. And really where the question comes down to is, what do you think is the heart of the service? If you feel the heart of the service is the word of God proclaimed, then that's the thing you will do every single week, and everything else serves that. If you feel that the heart of the worship service is the the grace of God illustrated and the response of his people in forgiveness and reconciliation, then you would make sure you do that every single week. Now— I think my opinion right now is we could do both every week. That's
0: what I was just going to ask. You.
1: Yeah, we should and could do both every week. And yeah. certainly there are there are some who would say, wow, but if you start doing communion every week, it gets rote, it gets ritualistic. Nobody's telling us to preach less often so that it do- stays special or doesn't become rote or ritualistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many of us grew up learning how to tune out sermons as kids. Um, so it easily becomes rote and something that we're good at, at just ignoring, like communion or any of the other things that we do every week. Uh, I pulled up in kind of anticipating this question, uh, a quote from a Presbyterian guy who uh, writes about Christ-centered worship. And he, I won't read the whole quote because it's super long, but um, he is basically saying, you know, the reformers said preaching the word is most important. And they're reacting against uh, the the Catholic um, emphasis on doing the liturgy right. hmm you know, performing the liturgy correctly, and he says so. We they emphasized preaching the word because without the understanding of the truths of Scripture, the significance of the liturgy is lost. Sure, All right, But without the liturgy, the the sort of life application or life illustration of the worship or of the word is is lost. So he says that uh, the two we have to understand that um, the the grace that is imaged in communion and baptism and the rest of the liturgy works, and this is his word, synergistically with the grace that is preached in the word, both emphasizing and illustrating the other. Mm -hmm. And if for the pastorally sensitive uh, worship leader, we should be able to both do communion and do preaching in ways that are new and fresh uh, week after week after week. Of course, all of that is within the context of a culture that says things aren't authentic unless they're new and fresh and that they're inauthentic if they're simply repeated from the past, which is a distinctly Western 21st century way of thinking about the world. So sure. um, that's our own culture we have to take and keep in mind here. But um, I think it would be possible for us to consider doing communion a little more regularly or when we do it, doing it a little more intentionally and a little bit longer on that that monthly basis. Um but that's a big change, and people have a lot of feelings about. Some people think we do communion too much already by doing it monthly. It should be quarterly or annually, and keep it keep it more special. Others, uh, including me, think we should be doing it more often. Yeah. So uh, that's part of our our free church balance.
0: So it's an ongoing conversation. It's an it ongoing conversation.
1: Yeah, it yeah. could change in the future. It could not change in the future. It could yeah. it could stay the same, or we could continue to kind of tweak uh, what we do in in order to. Um, continue driving home what communion really means. I mean, you know, we said this last Sunday that, uh, and I think I said more forcefully in second hour than I did in the first hour, that, like, if we're at the table together, if you and I are at the table together, even if we're in different parts of of the worship center, um, we are both giving each other permission to call each other out if we have some conflict that's unresolved. And so I I said second hour, like, if you have a problem with me, something I've done, which there's plenty of things I've done (laughs) that— that people should confront me on if if there's something I've done and we're in this room together during communion we should pause right then and take care of it i mean that's that's what paul tells us to do it's kind of what jesus is getting at in the sermon on the mount uh, but i can't remember the last time we did communion and i saw somebody get up and go over to someone else and say hey we should talk before we do this right so we don't really do communion for a main part of what it's for you know recognizing that we're enemies of God who've been invited to the table. And because we have peace with him, we can have peace with one another and then working for that peace.
0: Yeah.
1: So maybe if that happened more often, we would want to do communion more often.
0: Mm-hmm. Or maybe not because that's Or maybe scary. not. Yeah, yeah that, that, that. exactly.
1: That's, that's pretty scary. But uh, it's important for us to, to recognize, same thing with baptism, that when we're in the room together, we are giving each other permission. Like we're, we're family now. So call me out on my stuff because that's what family does.
0: So let's just quickly talk about baptism. Yeah. So we have a baptism service coming up in March. Yes. And um, what would you say about baptism and how would you encourage other people to get baptized? If What if we've had somebody attending our church for years, mm-hmm. been a believer for years, mm-hmm. they just never did that. But now the time maybe feels like it's coming past. Like, is it really necessary right. right. anymore? Right. What would you say?
1: You know, it's a really good question. And uh, part of my answer has to do with what we think baptism is does within the body, right? I kind of skirted a line this last week between saying, like, when you are baptized and you're publicly getting up in front of the family and saying, I belong to you, like something happens that, that binds you to that family. But that's not the same as this sort of extra biblical thing we've created called membership, and membership's important because it's the way that as church leaders, we know who we're responsible to God for because it's, it's the people who've said, like, I am with you. But really, there isn't much of a line between being baptized into this family and being members of this family. So I would say to someone who maybe even is a member of the church but has never been been baptized, I'd say baptism is more than simply saying I public publicly saying I'm following Jesus because if you're like, well, I've been following Jesus for 40 years and everybody knows why would I get up and right. you know publicly do it. So it's more than simply saying me and God are okay. It's also that permission to the church, to the family gathered to say, I am part of you and you are part of me. It's it's, I think I use the analogy of a, of an adoption ceremony. It's the church's adoption ceremony. And, um, I can see why somebody would kind of hesitate and be like, ah, you know, I've, I've been part of this church for 20 years or 10 years or, or 15 years or whatever. Why would I get baptized? And I would say, why not? Why not uh, uh, go through the water like, um, why not publicly image the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus within uh, a family that loves and cares for you as a way of publicly saying even, hey, I didn't, I didn't really think I needed this family, but I do. And I need you.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: Yeah. By the way, email me, joey at org if you're interested in being baptized on March 1st. Yes. We'll talk.
0: Yes. So okay we've taken, I've taken a lot of your time yeah, is there anything else that was cut for time on Sunday that you want? Oh
1: to man share? I probably should have cut more for time because I already went seven minutes long which I think I say every time we have a cut for time I should have cut more I went long there was a whole bunch of stuff I didn't I didn't use um, my brother is a, a chef runs his own restaurant in Colorado and you know part of that tradition is a family meal before the before the restaurant opens everybody comes together the chef ba- you know makes something for everyone before they open the restaurant. It's cool. it's just this ongoing ritual in the restaurant world. Uh, I thought about talking about, um, there's an article in The Atlantic last summer about atheist churches that try to get together and unite around singing pop songs and hearing motivational messages. Mm-hmm. And uh, they grew just like crazy in the first year or two and then found they just couldn't sustain commitment because singing pop songs and hearing motivational messages is not enough to bind a community together. There has okay. to be some deeper story, deeper memory. Okay. Uh, so I thought about talking about that. And then um, there are other things too that would take longer to explain that I, that I cut. So for sake of time in this podcast, I sure. won't go into those. Thanks.
0: Okay, well, sorry to take up all your time at the beginning. Um, okay, so any stories or illustrations that you wanna share before hmm. we go?
1: You know, one illustration uh, that was more kind of personally revealing. So talking about unity and especially the memories, the shared memories between people are, are what unifies a group together, right? So there's the there's the base story, and I wanted to stay focused on that base story of our redemption in Christ and not not add too much to it. But I was talking with a couple of guys after first hour, and they were just saying. You know, I've been part of this church for 45 years, and I've, just, I've seen too much and experienced too much to go anywhere else. Mm. You know, I, I've, I, have, I have too much in – they weren't saying, like, I have too much invested here to give it up, but I have – but so much of my life is here that I wouldn't go – somewhere else. And it reminded me of a quote that I had read in the last week or two. I think this is Steinbeck, but I lent the book to someone else, so I couldn't look it up mm-hmm. and couldn't use it, uh, of a character saying, you know, we don't really own this land because we don't have any bodies in the ground yet. You know, we don't we don't belong here because we haven't buried anyone we love here yet. And, you know, thinking of some of our older saints at faith who uh, have – um, had children here, who have buried parents here, who have even metaphorically buried animosities with one another here, mm-hmm. to, to have gone through all of that, you know, to have your significant um, relationships and memories, in a sense, buried at this church, um, really brings that sense of, of ownership. I guess meaning, you know, if I, were, if I had used that in the sermon, it would have been kind of to emphasize to people, like, unity just doesn't happen in a day yeah. or a week or even a year, um uh, you know the sense of unity and of belonging and of i am an integral part of this um can take decades mm-hmm. which i which is why i think it's important for this super mobile culture to commit to a place mm-hmm. uh, and to a people for a long period of time you have to stick around if you want to see unity happen
0: and it's not just a long period of time but it's also in that period of time um risking something yes absolutely like, yeah. taking a risk, whether it's with um, being vulnerable or losing something or mm-hmm. hurting someone or seeking forgiveness. Reconciliation. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If uh, if me and someone else have a conflict, uh, but we've uh, sought each other out, sought forgiveness and reconciled. I mean, that is a that is a, a loved one we've buried here. That is a conflict that we've buried here. And so we're both more tied to this community than we would be otherwise, than we would be if we had just sort of skirted each other for years until one of us left.
0: Right. Yeah. So, Joy to um, end with a story. Yeah. Okay, even though you just gave us a great illustration. Um, so back to the story about your grandfather.
1: Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. My Tina. family legacy.
0: Yes. Tina would like to know if you're willing to answer or able to answer. Mm. Um, she says, is it wrong to ask what solution his grandfather used?
1: Oh, or yes, s- yes. For the sake of science. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, that, uh, that is information that my uh, parents and grandparents never passed on to us. I, th- I think they, uh, they knew what kind of stock we came from and did not trust us with that information. So... But funnily enough, after first hour, someone texted me and said, "Are you sure your grandfather wasn't cooking meth?" Oh no! <laughs> and then just was trying to cover it up. And uh, for the record, meth did not exist back then, and so no, he was not he was not cooking meth. But
0: good clarification. Yeah,
1: good to know. <laughs>
0: oh my goodness!
1: He was probably moonshining, and that's what actually happened. <laughs>
0: All right. Thanks, Joey, for your time this morning. Um, And any other final nuggets?
1: Final nuggets, man, just don't Google how to blow up my house because it could end poorly.
0: And you'd find some. You
1: would definitely find some answers that that you maybe don't want to know. You're listening to Sweet Sermons from Faith Church on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like more sweet sermons or just sweet, sweet fellowship, visit faithchurchindy.com.